0: Section 13, Book the Thirteenth, of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 13, Book the Thirteenth. Argument. Neptune engages on the Grecian side and the battle proceeds. De Phobos is repulsed by Marionus, Theucer kills Imbrius, and Hector Amphimachus, neptune assuming the likeness of thoas exhorts idomeneus who goes forth with Meriones to battle when the former slays othrionius and Asius, Dephobus attacks idomeneus but misses him and slays hypsenor idomeneus slays alcathus over whose body a sharp contest ensues but after jove then had brought the trojans and hector near the ships he left them to endure labor and toil at them incessantly but he himself turned back his shining eyes apart looking towards the land of the equestrian thracians and the close fighting mycenas and the illustrious Hippomolgi, milk nourished simple and living and most just men but to troy he no longer now turned his bright eyes for he did not suppose in his mind that any one of the mortals going would aid either the trojans or the greeks nor did king neptune keep a vain watch for he sat aloft upon the highest summit of the woody Thracian Samus, admiring the war and the battle. For from thence all Ida was visible, and the city of Priam was visible, and the ships of the Greeks. Then coming out of the sea he sat down and pitied the Greeks, subdued by the Trojans, and was very indignant with Jove. But presently he descended down from the rugged mountain, rapidly advancing on foot, and the high hills and woods trembled beneath the immortal feet of Neptune advancing. Thrice indeed he strode advancing and with the fourth step he reached aegea his destined goal there distinguished mansions golden glittering ever incorruptible were erected to him in the depths of the sea coming thither he yoked beneath his chariot the brazen-footed steeds swiftly flying crested with golden manes but he himself placed gold around his person took his golden lash well wrought and descended his chariot he proceeded to drive over the billows, and the monsters of the deep sported beneath him on all sides from their recesses, nor were ignorant of their king. For joy the sea departed, and they flew very rapidly, nor was the brazen axle moist beneath. And his well-bounding steeds bore him to the ships of the Greeks. Now there is an ample cave in the recesses of the deep sea, between Tenedos and rugged Imbrus. There earth-shaking Neptune stopped his horses, loosing them from the chariot, and cast beside them ambrosial fodder to eat, and round their feet he threw golden fetters, irrefragable, indissoluble, that they might there steadily await their king returning, but he departed towards the army of the Greeks. The Trojans, however, in crowds, like unto a flame or a whirlwind, followed Hector, the son of Priam, with insatiable ardour, shouting loudly and exclaiming, for they hoped to capture the ships of the Greeks and slay all the Greeks beside them, but earth-ruling earth-shaking neptune coming from the deep sea aroused the greeks assimilating his person and indefatigable voice to calchas the ajaces he first addressed though themselves were earnest ye ajaces ye indeed mindful of valour not of direful flight will preserve the people of the greeks for in any other place indeed i do not dread the audacious hands of the trojans who in great numbers have surmounted the great wall because the well-grieved greeks will sustain them all but in that place I grievously fear lest we suffer anything, where infuriated Hector like unto a flame leads on who boasts to be the son of almighty Jove. But may some of the gods thus put it in your minds, that ye stand firmly yourselves and exhort others. Thus may ye drive him, although impetuous, from the swift sailing ships, even if Jove himself excites him he said and earth-ruling neptune striking both with his sceptre filled them with violent might and made their limbs light and their feet and hands above but he like as a swift-winged hawk is impelled to fly which lifted up from a rugged lofty rock has hastened to pursue another bird over the plain so darted earth-shaking neptune from them but fleet ajax the son of Oileus, recognised him first of the two and straightway addressed ajax the son of telamon o oh, ajax since some one of the gods who possesses olympus likening himself to the soothsayer exhorts us to fight beside the ships neither is this calchas the prophesying augur for i readily recognise the traces of his feet and legs when departing for thus the gods are easily distinguished even to myself the soul within my bosom is more incited to war and to fight and my feet beneath and hands above eagerly desire it but him telamonian ajax answering addressed so also to me are by strong hands upon my spear eager, and my courage is aroused, and I am hurried along by both my feet under me, and I eagerly long, even alone, to combat with Hector, the son of Priam, insatiably raging. Thus they addressed these words to each other, joyful in a desire of battle, which the god had infused into their minds. In the meanwhile the earth ruler Neptune aroused the Achaeans in the rear, who were recruiting their spirit at the swift ships, whose limbs were at the same time relaxed with toilsome labour and the grief was arising in their minds beholding the trojans who with a tumult had surmounted the vast wall but beholding them they poured forth tears from beneath their eyebrows for they expected not to escape destruction but the earthshaker intervening easily aroused the brave phalanxes to teucer and laius he first came exhorting them and to the hero peneleus and thoas and depyrus and to Meriones and antilochus skillful in war these he encouraging spoke winged words o oh shame argives young men i trust that our ships will be preserved by your fighting but if ye be remiss in the destructive battle the day is now come for us to be subdued by the trojans ye gods surely i behold with my eyes a great marvel Terrible, which I never expected would be brought to pass, that the Trojans should approach our ships, who formerly, like unto timid stags, which through the wood are the prey of lynxes, pards, and wolves, foolishly straying about, weak, nor fit for combat, so the Trojans formerly would not stand even for little against the might and prowess of the Greeks. But now, far away from the city, they combat at the hollow ships, through the perverseness of our general and the indifference of the troops, who disputing with him are unwilling to defend the swift ships but are slain among them yet although in reality the hero the son of atreus wide-ruling agamemnon be altogether in fault in that he hath dishonoured the swift-footed son of peleus still it is by no means our duty to be remiss in battle but let us sooner repair the mischief the minds of the brave are easily appeased but they by no means honourably remit your impetuous valour being all the bravest in the army i indeed would not quarrel with a man who should desist from combat being unwarlike but with you i am indignant from my heart o soft ones surely will ye soon create some greater evil by this inertness but do each of you in his mind ponder on the shame and reproach for certainly a mighty contest hath arisen now indeed brave hector going good in the din of war combats at the ships and hath burst through the gates and the long bar thus then neptune exhorting aroused the greeks but round the two ajaces firm phalanxes stood which not even mars coming against them would have found fault with nor minerva the confounder of armies for the bravest selected awaited the trojans and noble hector knitting spear with spear shield with shield one upon another so that shield pressed upon shield helmet upon helmet and man upon man and the horse-haired helmets of them nodding touched each other with their splendid ridges so closely stood they to one another, and spears in the act of being hurled were brandishing from their daring hands, whilst they wished to go straight against the enemy, and were eager to fight. But the combined Trojans first made the attack, and impetuous Hector first rushed against them as a destructively rolling stone from a rock, which a wintry torrent drives down the brow, having burst with a mighty shower the stays of the rugged rock, and bounding along it rolls, and the forest resounds beneath it but straightway it runs on interruptedly until it reached the plain, but then it rolls no longer, though impelled. So Hector for a while threatened that he would easily come as far as the sea to the tents and ships of the Greeks, slaughtering. But when now he met the firm Phalanxes, he stopped, being come into close contact, and the sons of the Greeks opposing repulsed him from them, striking him with their swords and two-edged spears. But retiring, he was compelled to withdraw, and he cried out, shouting audibly to the Trojans, ye trojans and lycians and close fighting dardanians stand firm not long will the greeks withstand me although they have drawn themselves up in very dense array but i conceive they will retire from my spear if in truth the most powerful of the gods the high thundering husband of juno hath urged me on so saying he aroused the might and courage of each but deiphobus the son of priam walked amongst them high-minded and he held his shield equal on all sides before him proceeding with light step and advancing under protection of his shield then meriones took aim with his shining spear and struck him nor did he miss upon the bull's hide shield equal on all sides which he did not pierce for the long spear far before was broken at the socket but Aphobus held his bull's hide shield far from him for he dreaded in his mind the spear of warlike meriones but that hero fell back into the column of his companions for he was grievously enraged on both accounts both for the loss of the victory and of the spear which he had broken accordingly he proceeded to pass by the tents and ships of the greeks to bring a long spear which had been left in his tent whilst the others fought and a mighty tumult arose then telamonian teucer first slew a hero the warrior imbrius son of mentor rich in steeds and he dwelt at padeum before the sons of the greeks arrived and had married medesicaste the illegitimate daughter of priam but when the equally plied ships of the greeks arrived he came back to ilium and excelled among the trojans and dwelt with priam who honoured him equally with his sons him the son of telamon smote under the ear with his long javelin and plucked out the spear but he indeed fell like an ash which on the summit of a mountain conspicuous from afar cut down with a brazen axe strews its tender foliage on the earth thus he fell and his armour variegated with brass rang about him then teucer rushed on eager to strip him of his armor but hector hurled his shining spear at him hastening he however seeing it from the opposite side avoided by a small space the brazen spear and hector wounded with his javelin on the breast amphimachus son of cetaeus the son of actor advancing to the battle and falling he gave a crash and his arms rang upon him then hector rushed to tear from the head of magnanimous amphimachus the helmet fitted to his temples but Ajax hurled with his shining spear at Hector, rushing on. Yet it never reached his body, for he was protected all over with terrible brass. But he smote him upon the boss of the shield, and repulsed him with great violence. And he retired from both bodies, and the Greeks drew them away. Then Stichius and noble Menestius, the leaders of the Athenians, carried Amphimachus to the army of the Greeks. But the two Ajaces, eager for impetuous combat, carried Imbrius, as two lions bear a goat through the thick corpse wood snatching it from the sharp-toothed dogs holding it high above the earth in their jaws so the two warriors the ajaces holding him imbrius aloft stripped off his armor but the son of oileus enraged on account of amphimachus severed his head from his tender neck and sent it rolling like a ball through the crowd but it fell before the feet of hector in the dust then indeed was neptune grieved at heart for his grandson slain in the grievous fight and he proceeded to go along the tents and ships of the greeks exhorting the greeks and preparing disasters for the trojans but spear renowned idomeneus then met him returning from a companion who had lately come to him from the battle wounded in the ham with a sharp brass whom his comrades had carried in and he having given directions to the surgeons was returning from his tent for he still desired to participate in the fight him, king neptune addressed assimilating himself as to his voice to theus son of andramon who governed the aetolians throughout all pleuron and lofty caledon and who was honored by the people as a god idomeneus thou counsellor of the cretans where indeed are the threats gone with which the sons of the greeks threatened the trojans whom again in turn idomeneus the leaders of the cretans addressed no man o theus as far as i know is at present to blame for we are all skilled in warring neither does disheartening fear detain any one nor does any one yielding to sloth shirk evil strife but thus doubtless it will be agreeable to the all-powerful son of saturn that here far away from argus the greeks shall perish inglorious but though as for formerly thou wast warlike and urged on others when thou didst behold them negligent so now desist not thyself but exhort each man but him earth-shaking neptune then answered never may that man o Dominaeus, return from troy but let him here be the sport of the dogs whosoever voluntarily this day shall relax from fighting but come taking up arms advance hither for it behooves us to hasten these things if we may be of any service although but two for useful is the valour of men even the very pusillanimous if combined whereas we both understand how to fight even with the brave so saying the god departed again to the toil of heroes but idomeneus when now he had reached his well-made tent put on his rich armour round his body and seized two spears and hastened to go like unto the lightning which the son of saturn seizing in his hand brandishes from glittering olympus showing a sign to mortals and brilliant are its rays so shone the brass around the breast of him running then meriones his good attendant met him yet near the tent for he was going to fetch a brazen spear and the strength of idomeneus addressed him Marionus, son of molus swift of foot dearest of my companions why comest thou thus quitting the war and the contest art thou at all wounded and does the point of a spear afflict thee or comest thou to me on my message for i myself am not desirous to sit within my tent but to fight but him prudent Marionus, in turn answered idomeneus thou counsellor of the brazen mailed cretans i come if there be any spear left within thy tents to take it because i indeed have broken that which i formerly had having struck the shield of ferocious deiphobus whom again in turn idomeneus leader of the cretans addressed thou wilt find if thou desirest to select from them one and twenty spears standing in my tent against the shining walls which i have taken from the slain trojans for i affirm that i do not fight with hostile men standing at a distance from them hence i have both spears and bossy shields and helmets and corslets, brightly polished but him again prudent merionis addressed in turn at my tent also and black ship are there many spoils of the trojans but they are not near so that i might take them for neither do i conceive that i am forgetful of valour but i stand among the foremost in glory giving battle whenever the contest of war has arisen i am rather unobserved perhaps when fighting by some other of the brazen mailed greeks but i think that thou knowest me whom again idomeneus leader of the cretans addressed in turn i know what thou art as to valour what necessity is there for thee to enumerate these things for if now all we the bravest at the ship should be selected for an ambuscade where the courage of men is especially distinguished where both the coward as well as the brave man is made apparent for the complexion of the coward on the one hand is changed from this to that nor is his heart calm within his bosom so that he can rest without trembling but he shifts his position and sits upon both his feet whilst his heart greatly palpitates within his breast as he is expecting death and the chattering of his teeth arises but neither is a complexion of the brave man changed nor is he at all disturbed after he first sits down in the ambush of heroes but he burns to be mingled with all haste and direful fight no one in that case would find fault with thy courage and might for if laboring in the battle thou wert wounded from a distance, or smitten in close fight, the weapon would not fall upon thy neck behind, nor upon thy back, but it would pierce through either thy breast or thy stomach as thou wast rushing forward amid the conflict of foremost combatants. But come, no longer let us speak of these things, standing like infatuated persons, lest perhaps some one chides us inordinately. But do thou, going to the tent, take a strong spear. Thus he spake. And Meriones, equal to swift Mars, quickly took from the tent a brazen spear, and he went along with Idomeneus, very eager for war. But as man destroying Mars enters the battle with whom terror his dear son, at the same time powerful and undismayed follows, who strikes fear into the warrior even of resolute soul, these indeed are armed from Thrace along with the Ephyri or with the magnanimous Phlagians, neither do they hear both but they give glory to one or the other so Marionus and idomeneus leaders of heroes advanced to battle equipped with helmets of glittering brass and Marionus first addressed him in these words son of deucalion where dost thou meditate to enter the throng to the right of all the army or at the centre or upon the left since nowhere else in the battle do i conceive that the long-haired greeks so much require support but him idomeneus the leader of the cretans in turn addressed among the centre ships indeed there are others to aid them both the ajaces and Teucer, who is the most skillful of the greeks in archery and brave also in standing fight who will sufficiently harass even to satiety hector the son of priam although most urgent of battle and although being very gallant hard will it be for him although very desirous of fighting having overpowered their strength and invincible hands to fire the ships unless the son of saturn himself cast a flaming torch upon the swift ships nor indeed will mighty Telamonian Ajax yield to any man who may be immortal, and who may eat the fruit of Ceres, who is vulnerable by brass and by large stones. Not even to warlike Achilles would he give way, at least in standing fight. But in speed he is by no means able to contend with him. Guide us, therefore, to the left of the army, that we may quickly know whether we shall afford glory to anyone, or anyone to us. Thus he spoke but meriones equal to rapid mars began to proceed until he came to that part of the army whither he had ordained him but they when they beheld idomeneus like unto a flame in might both him and his attendant in variously wrought armour they all exhorting one another along the crowd advanced against him and an equal contest arose at the sterns of their ships and as when storms sweep along driven by the shrill wind on a day when the dust around the roads is very abundant and they at the same time raise up a large cloud of dust so came on the battle of these together and they were eager in their minds to slaughter one another throughout the throng with the sharp brass and the mortal destroying combat bristles with the long spears which they held flesh-rending and the brazen splendor from the gleaming helmets the newly burnished corslets and the shining shields coming together dazzled their eyes very brave-hearted would he be who when beholding their toil could have rejoiced and would not be disturbed but the two powerful sons of saturn favoring different sides planned grievous toils for the heroes on the one hand jove willed victory to the trojans and to hector glorifying swift-footed achilles yet he desired not entirely to destroy the grecian people before ilium but was honoring thetis and her magnanimous son on the other hand neptune coming amongst them encouraged the greeks having secretly emerged from the hoary deep for he grieved that they should be subdued by the trojans and he was greatly indignant with jove the same race indeed was to both and the same lineage but jove was born first and knew more for this reason neptune avoided aiding them openly but always kept privately inciting them through the army assimilated to a man they indeed alternately stretched over both the cord of vehement contest and equally destructive war irrefragable and indissoluble which relaxed the knees of many then although half hoary edomeneus encouraging the greeks rushing upon the trojans created night for he slew Orithionius, who had come from Cabeasus, staying within Priam's house. He had lately come after the rumor of the war, and demanded Cassandra, the most beautiful in form of the daughters of Priam, without a dowry, and he had promised a mighty deed to repulse in spite of themselves the sons of the Greeks from Troy. But to him aged Priam had promised her, and pledged himself to give her. Therefore he fought, trusting in these promises, but idomeneus took aim at him with his shining spear and hurling it struck him strutting proudly nor did the brazen corslet which he wore resist it but he fixed it in the middle of his stomach and falling he gave a crash and the other boasted and said othrionius above all men indeed do i praise thee if thou wilt now in truth accomplish all which thou hast undertaken for Dardanian priam but he also promised thee his daughter we likewise promising these things will accomplish them to thee we will give thee the most beautiful in form of the daughters of the son of atreus to wed bringing her from Argos. if along with us thou wilt destroy the well-inhabited city of ilium but fall, that we may treat with thee respecting the marriage of sea traversing ships since we are by no means bad brothers-in-law so saying the hero idomeneus dragged him by the foot through the brisk battle but to him asaeus came as an avenger on foot before his steeds which his attendant charioteer always kept breathing over his shoulders and in his mind he longed to strike idomeneus but idomeneus anticipating him smote him with his spear in the throat below the chin and drove the brass quite through and he fell as when some oak falls or white poplar or towering pine which timber workers have cut down upon the mountains with lately wedded axes to become ship timber so he lay stretched out before his horses and chariot gnashing his teeth grasping the bloody dust but the charioteer was deprived of the senses which he previously had, nor dared he turn back the horses that he might escape from the hands of the enemy. But him warlike like Antilochus, striking, transfixed in the middle with his spear, nor did the brazen corslet which he wore resist. But he fixed it in the center of his stomach. Then, panting, he fell from the well-made chariot seat, and Antilochus, the son of magnanimous Nestor, drove away the horses from the Trojans to the well-armed Greeks." But Deiphobus, enraged on account of Asius, drew very near to Idomeneus, and hurled with his shining spear. Idomeneus, however, having perceived it opposite, avoided the brazen spear, for he was concealed behind his shield, equal on all sides, which he bore, constructed of the hides of bulls and glittering brass, fitted with two handles. Behind this he collected himself entirely, and the brazen spear flew over him. But the shield returned a dry sound, the spear grazing it obliquely yet he dephobus scented not in vain from his heavy hand but he struck hypsenor son of hippasus the shepherd of the people upon the liver below the breast and straightway relaxed his knees under him but dephobus vainly boasted over him loudly exclaiming surely not avenged lies asius i rather think that he will rejoice in his mind the going into the strong-gated massy dwelling of hades since i have given him a guide thus he spoke but grief came upon the greeks at his boasting and it particularly agitated the mind of warlike antilochus yet grieved as he was he neglected not his companion but running he protected him and covered him over with his shield him then his two dear companions mesisteus son of Achaeus, and noble Alaster, supporting bore to the hollow ships deeply groaning in the meantime idomeneus ceased not his mighty valour but always burned either to cover some of the trojans with pitchy night or himself to fall with a crash repelling destruction from the greeks then the hero alcathis the beloved son of acetes and he was a son-in-law of anchises for he had married hippodamia the eldest of his daughters whom their father and venerable mother loved from their hearts whilst in their home because she excelled all of her age and beauty and accomplishments and prudence for which reason also the most distinguished man in wide troy had wedded her him neptune subdued under idomeneus having dimmed his shining eyes and fettered his fair limbs for he was able neither to fly back nor to turn aside but him standing motionless like a pillar or lofty branching tree the hero idomeneus wounded with his spear in the middle of his breast and burst the brazen coat around him which formerly warded off destruction from his body but then it sent forth a dry sound severed by the spear falling he gave a crash and the spear was fixed in his heart which palpitating shook even the extremity of the spear and there at length the impetuous mars spent its force but idomeneus boasted prodigiously over him loudly exclaiming phobus do we judge rightly that it is a fair return that three should be slain for one since thus thou boastest but do thou thyself also, wretch, stand against me, that thou mayest know of what nature I am, who have come hither the offspring of Jove, who first begat Minos, the guardian of Crete. Minos again begat Deucalion, his blameless son, and Deucalion begat me, king over many men in wide Crete. But now the ships have brought me hither, an evil both to thee and to thy father and the other Trojans. Thus he spoke but Deiphobus hesitated between two opinions whether falling back he should join to himself some one of the magnanimous trojans or make trial although alone but to him thus deliberating it appeared preferable to go in search of aeneas whom he found standing at the rear of the army for he was ever indignant with noble priam because he by no means honoured him though being valiant among heroes and standing near he addressed to him winged words aeneas thou counsellor of the trojans now does it greatly behoove thee to aid thy brother-in-law if indeed any regard reaches thee but follow let us bring aid to alcathus who being thy brother-in-law nourished thee whilst very young in his palace and whom spear-famed idomeneus hath slain thus he spoke and roused the courage in his breast and he greatly desirous of battle when to meet idomeneus yet fierce he is not idomeneus like a tender boy but he stood still like a boar in the mountains, confident in his prowess, and who abides the mighty din of men, advancing against him in a desert place, and bristles up his back. His eyes too gleam with fire, and he wets his teeth, eager to keep at bay both dogs and men. So spear-renowned Idomeneus awaited Aeneas, swift in a battle din, coming against him, nor retired. But he shouted to his companions, looking to Ascathus, and Apharius, and Apyrus, and Meriones and Antilochus, skillful in fight. Exhorting these, he addressed to them winged words, Hither, my friends, and aid me alone, for I greatly dread swift-footed Aeneas rushing on, who is coming upon thee, who is very powerful to slay men in battle, and possesses a bloom of youth which is the greatest strength. For if we were of the same age with the spirit that I now possess, quickly would either he bear off great glory, or I would. Thus he spoke. But they all, having one determination in their minds, stood near him, inclining their shields upon their shoulders, Aeneas, on the other hand, animated his companions, looking towards Deiphobus, Paris, and noble Agenor, who together with himself were leaders of the Trojans. These also the people followed, as sheep follow from their pasture after the ram in order to drink, and the shepherd then is rejoiced in his mind. So was the soul of Aeneas gladdened in his breast, when he beheld a body of troops following himself these therefore engaged in close fight round alcathis with long spears whilst the brass resounded horribly on the breasts of them aiming at each other through the crowd but two warlike men conspicuous among the rest aeneas and idomeneus equal to mars longed to lacerate each other's flesh with the ruthless brass but aeneas first hurled his javelin at idomeneus but he perceiving it opposite avoided the brazen spear and the spear of aeneas sank quivering into the earth for it fled in vain from his sturdy hand Idomeneus next smote oenomus in the middle of the stomach and the spear burst the cavity of his corslet and penetrating drank his entrails through but falling amid the dust he grasped the earth with the hollow of his hand then idomeneus plucked out the long spear from his body but was unable to tear off the other rich armour from his shoulders for he was pressed hard by weapons for no longer were the sinews of his feet firm as he rushed either to hasten on after his own dart or avoid that of another wherefore also in standing fight he warded off the fatal day nor did his feet any longer bear him with ease in retreating from the battle but against him gradually retiring Dephobus took aim with his glittering spear for he ever had a rooted hatred towards him but then too he missed and struck with his javelin escalphus the son of mars and drove the stout spear through his shoulder and tailing amidst the dust he grasped the earth with his hand not yet however had loudly roaring impetuous mars heard that his son had fallen in the violent fight but he sat upon the summit of olympus beneath golden clouds excluded from the battle by the will of jove where also the other mortal gods were restrained from the war in the meantime they engaged in close fight around ascalaphus they Phobus indeed tore the shining helmet from ascalaphus and meriones equal to swift mars springing upon him smote him with his spear in the arm and the crested cask falling from his hand rang upon the earth immediately meriones leaping upon him like a vulture plucked out the tough spear from the lower part of his arm and retired back again into the crowd of his comrades but him polites his own brother throwing his hands round his waist carried out of the dread sounding battle till he reached his fleet steeds which awaited him in the rear of the combat and the war having both a charioteer and a variegated car which then carried him towards the city groaning heavily and afflicted and the blood flowed from his recently wounded hand but the others kept fighting and an unquenchable clamour arose then aeneas rushing upon apharius the son of calator smote him with his sharp spear upon the throat when turned towards him and his head was bent to one side and then, then his shield clung to him and his helmet and around him life destroying death was spread antilochus however observing thoas turning round attacking wound him and cut away all the vein which running quite along the back reaches to the neck all this he cut off but he fell back on his back in the dust stretching out both hands to his beloved companions then antilochus sprang upon him and stripped the armour from his shoulders looking around but the trojans surrounding him struck his wide and ornamented shield with their darts nor were they able to graze with the dire brass the tender body of antilochus within it because earth-shaking neptune protected the son of nestor all round even amongst many weapons for never indeed was he apart from the enemy but he turned himself about among them nor did he hold his spear without motion, but continually moving, it was whirled about, and he prepared within his mind either to hurl it at someone afar off, or to rush upon someone close at hand. But meditating these things amid the throng, he escaped not the notice of Adamus, the son of Asius, who smote him in the middle of his shield with a sharp brass, attacking him in close combat. But azure-haired Neptune weakened the spear, grudging him the life of Antilochus part of it remained there like a stake burned in the fire in the shield of antilochus and the other half lay upon the ground whilst he gave backwards into the crowd of his companions shunning death meriones however following him departing smote him with his spear between the private parts and the navel where a wound is particularly painful to miserable mortals there he fixed the spear in him and he falling struggling panting round the spear as an ox when cowherds in mountains forcibly binding him with twisted cords lead him away unwilling so he wounded throbbed though but for a short time and not very long until the hero meriones coming near plucked the spear from his body and darkness veiled his eyes but helenus close at hand struck de upon the temple with his huge thracian sword and cut away the three-coned helmet which being dashed off fell upon the ground and some one of the combating greeks lifted it up having rolled between his feet whilst a dim night enveloped his eyes then grief seized the son of atreus menelaus brave in the din of battle and he advanced threatening the hero king helenus brandishing his sharp spear whilst the other drew the horn of his bow together then they darted the one eager to launch his fir tree spear and the other an arrow from the string then indeed the son of priam smote him in the breast with an arrow on the cavity of the corslet, but the bitter shaft rebounded as when from the broad winnowing fan in a large threshing-floor the black-coated beans or vetches leap at the shrill blast and the force of the winner so strongly repulsed by the corslet of glorious menelaus the bitter arrow flew afar but menelaus the son of atreus brave in the den of battle smote him upon the hand which held his well-polished bow and in the bow the brazen spear was fixed from the opposite side through his hand then he retired back into the crowd of his companions avoiding death hanging down his hand at his side but the ashen spear was trailed along with him and then magnanimous agenor extracted it from his hand and bound the hand itself slingways in well twisted sheep's wool which his attendant carried for the shepherd of the people but pizander went direct against glorious menelaus because evil fate led him towards the end of death to be subdued by thee o menelaus in the dire battle when therefore they were near advancing against each other the son of atreus indeed missed and his spear was turned aside from him but pisander smote the shield of glorious menelaus nor could he drive the spear quite through because the broad shield kept it off and the spear was broken at the extremity still he rejoiced in his mind and hoped for victory the son of atreus however drawing his silver studded sword sprang upon Pizander, but he drew from beneath his shield a handsome battle-axe of well-wrought brass, fixed upon either side of an olive-handle, long, well-polished, and at once they struck each other. Then he, Pisander, cut away the cone of the helmet, thick with horsehair, under the very crest, but Menelaus smote him, approaching upon the forehead, above the root of the nose, and the bones crashed, and his blood-stained eyes fell at his feet upon the ground in the dust." and falling he writhed. Then he, Menelaus, placing his heel upon his breast, despoiled him of his armor, and boasting spoke this speech. Thus then, shall ye abandon the ships of the Greeks, who possess swift steeds, ye treaty-breaking Trojans, insatiate of dire battle, of other injury and disgrace, ye indeed lack nothing with which ye have injured me, vile dogs, nor have ye at all dreaded in your minds the heavy wrath of high-thundering hospitable Jove, who will yet destroy for you your lofty city ye who unprovoked departed carrying off my virgin spouse and much wealth after ye had been hospitably received by her now again do ye eagerly desire to hurl destructive fire upon the sea traversing ships and to slay the grecian heroes but ye shall yet be restrained impetuous as ye be from war o father jove assuredly they say that thou excellest all others men and gods in prudence yet from thee do all these things proceed how much dost thou gratify these insolent Trojan men, whose violence is ever pernicious, and who cannot be satisfied with war, equally destructive to all? Of all things is there satiety, of sleep, of love, of sweet singing, and of faultless dancing, with which one would much more readily satisfy his desire than with war. But the Trojans are insatiate of battle so saying having stripped the bloody armour from the body illustrious menelaus gave it to his companions whilst he advancing was again mixed with the foremost combatants then harpalion the son of king pelemenes who had then followed his dear father to wage war at troy leaped upon him nor returned he back to his native land he it was who then close at hand struck the middle of Atrides' shield with his lance nor was he able to drive it quite through the brass but he retired back into the crowd of his companions, avoiding death, looking around on all sides, lest anyone should touch his body with a spear. Meriones, however, shot a brazen-pointed arrow at him, retreating, and struck him upon the right hip, and the arrow penetrated to the other side, through the bladder below the bone. Sinking down, therefore, in the same place, breathing out his life in the arms of his beloved companions, like a worm, he lay stretched upon the ground, whilst his black blood flowed and moistened the earth around him the magnanimous paphlagonians were employed and lifting him up upon a chariot they bore him to sacred ilium grieving and with them went his father shedding tears but no vengeance was taken for his dead son but paris was greatly enraged in his soul on account of his being slain for he had been his guest among many paphlagonians wherefore enraged on his account he sent forth a brazen arrow now there was one eucaenor son of the diviner paulidus wealthy and brave inhabiting a dwelling at corinth who well knowing his fatal destiny had arrived in a ship for often had paulidus good old man told him that he would perish in his halls of a grievous disease or be subdued by the trojans among the ships of the greeks wherefore he avoided at once the severe mulct of the achaeans and odious disease that he might not suffer sorrows in his mind him paris smote below the jaw and the ear and his spirit quickly departed from his members and hateful darkness seized him thus indeed they fought like unto a burning fire but hector dear to jove had not learned nor knew at all how at the left of the ships his people were being slaughtered by the greeks for the victory was on the point of being the grecians so much did earth-shaking neptune encourage the greeks and moreover himself assisted with his strength but he hector pressed on where first he had sprung within the gates and walls breaking the thick ranks of the shielded greeks there were the ships of ajax and Protesilaus drawn up upon the shore of the hoary sea but above them the wall was built very low there themselves and their horses were most impetuous in the combat there the Boeotians and long-robed ionians the locrians the pythians and the illustrious epeans restrained him from the ships fiercely rushing on but were unable to drive away from them noble hector like unto a flame the chosen men of the Athenians stood in the van among whom Menestheus son of Petaeus, had the command and with him followed Phaedus Stichius and brave Bias meges the son of Phaeus amphion and Dracius, led the epeans and over the Pythians were medon and Hodarches, steady in fight medon was indeed the spurious offspring of godlike oileus and the brother of ajax but he dwelt at phylace away from his native country having slain a man the brother of his stepmother Areopis, whom oileus had married but the other was a son of iphiclus of phylaci these in arms before the magnanimous pythians fought among the boetians defending the ships but ajax the swift son of oileus never separated from telamonian ajax not even for a little time but as in a fallow field two black bullocks possessing equal spirit draw a well-joined plough but meanwhile copious sweat breaks forth around the roots of their horns and them the well-polished yoke alone separates on either side advancing along the furrows and the plough cuts up the bottom of the soil so they twain joined together stood very near to each other and then many and brave troops followed the son of telamon as companions who received from him his shield whenever fatigue and sweat came upon his limbs but the locrians followed not the great-souled son of oelus for their heart remained not firm to them in the standing fight because they had not brazen helmets crested with horsehair nor had they well-orbed shields and ashen spears but they followed along with him to ilium trusting in the bows and the well-twisted sheep's wool with which frequently hurling they broke the phalanxes of the trojans at that time indeed these the ajaces in the van with their variously wrought armour fought against the trojans and brazen-armed hector whilst the locrians shooting from the rear lay concealed nor were the trojans any longer mindful of combat for the arrows put them in confusion then surely would the trojans have retreated with loss from the ships and tents to lofty ilium had not polydamas standing near addressed bold hector hector thou art impossible to be persuaded by advice because indeed a god hath given thee above others warlike deeds for this reason dost thou also desire to be more skilled than others in counsel but by no means canst thou thyself obtain all things at once to one indeed hath the deity given warlike deeds to another dancing and to another the harp and singing to another again far-sounding jove implants a prudent mind in his bosom of which many men reap the advantage as prudence even preserves cities and he himself who possesses it especially knows its value yet will i speak as appears to me best because the encircling host of war burns round thee on all sides and the magnanimous trojans since they have crossed the walls some indeed stand apart with their arms and others fight but the fewer against the greater number scattered amongst the ships but retiring back summon hither all the chiefs and then we can better discuss the whole plan whether we shall enter upon the many benched ships if indeed the deity will give us victory or depart uninjured from the barks because of a truth i fear lest the greeks repay their debt of yesterday since a man insatiate in war still remains at the ships who i conceive will no longer abstain entirely from battle thus spoke polydamas but the faultless advice pleased hector and immediately he leaped with his armor from the chariot to the ground and addressing him spoke winged words polydamas do thou retain here all the bravest whilst i will come back again immediately after i have given proper orders to the troops he said and shouting he rushed on like unto a snowy mountain and flew through the trojans and the allies but they all crowded round valor loving polydamas the son of panthus as soon as they heard the voice of hector he however ranged through the foremost combatants seeking if he could anywhere find Dephobus, the mighty king of hellenus and adamus the son of asias and asias the son of hertacus some he found no longer quite unhurt nor yet destroyed whilst others again lay at the sterns of the ships of the greeks having lost their lives by the hands of the greeks and others were stricken or wounded within the wall but he quickly found noble alexander the husband of fair-haired helen on the left of the lamentable battle cheering of his companions and encouraging them to fight and standing near he addressed him with reproachful words accursed paris fine only in person woman mad seducer where are de and the might of king helenus and Adamas, the son of aesias and Asias, the son of hertacus where also is othrionius now lofty ilium all perishes from its summit now is its final destruction certain but him godlike alexander in turn addressed hector since it is thy intention to find fault with me when innocent at some other time perhaps i may be more neglectful of the fight but not now since neither did my mother bear me altogether unwarlike for from the time when thou didst stir up the battle of thy companions at the ships from that time remaining here have we engaged incessantly with the greeks and those comrades are dead, for whom thou inquirest. They Phobus and the might of King Hellenus alone have withdrawn, both wounded in the hand with long spears, but the son of Saturn hath warded off death from them. But now lead on, wheresoever thy heart and soul urge thee, and we will follow with determined minds, nor do I think that thou wilt be at all in want of valor, as much strength as in us. It is not possible even for one, although keenly desirest, to fight beyond his strength so saying the hero persuaded the mind of his brother and they hastened to advance towards that place where especially was the battle and the contest round cebrionus and excellent polydamus phalces and ortheus and godlike polyphotes and palmus and ascanius and moris the sons of hippotion who the day before had come as a relief guard from fertile ascania and jove then urged them to fight but they marched like unto the blast of boisterous winds which rushes down to the plain urged by the thunder of father jove and with a dreadful tumult is mingled with the ocean and in it rise many boiling billows of the much resounding sea swollen whitened with foam first indeed some and then others following so the Trojans, first indeed some in battle array, and then others, glittering in brass, followed along with their leaders. But Hector, the son of Priam, equal to man-slaughtering Mars, led the van, and held before him his shield, equal on all sides, thick with skins, and much brass was laid over it. And round his temples his gleaming helmet was shaken. Stepping forward, he tried the phalanxes around on every side, if perchance they would give way to him, advancing under cover of his shield. Yet he disturbed not the courage of the Greeks in their breasts, but ajax far striding first challenged him o noble sir draw nearer why dost thou thus frighten the greeks we greeks are by no means unskilful in battle although we are subdued by the evil scourge of jove thy soul forsooth hopes i suppose to plunder the ships but we also have hands ready to repulse thee immediately assuredly long before shall thy well inhabited city be taken and destroyed by our hands but to thee thyself i say the time draws near when flying thou shalt pray to father jove and the other immortals that thy fair-maned steeds which shall bear thee to the city raising dust over the plain may become swifter than hawks whilst he was thus speaking a bird flew over him on the right a lofty flying eagle upon which the people of the greeks shouted encouraged by the omen but illustrious hector replied o babbling and vain boasting ajax what hast thou said would that i were as sure of becoming forever the child of ages bearing jove that the venerable juno had borne me and that i were honored as minerva and apollo are honored as that this day now certainly brings destruction upon all the greeks and among others thou shalt be slain if thou wilt dare to abide my long spear which shall tear for thee thy dainty person and thou shalt satiate the dogs and birds of the trojans with thy fat and flesh falling at the ships of the greeks Thus then having spoken he led on and they followed along with him with a mighty shout and the troops likewise shouted in the rear the greeks on the other side raised a shout nor were they forgetful of their valour but they awaited the bravest of the trojans assaulting but the clamour of both reached to the ether and the shining splendour of jove end of book the thirteenth read by stephen Kearney.